Hello, everybody. Just a quick disclaimer before this week's episode. As you know, we've been recording our episodes remotely lately due to the COVID-19 pandemic, so please excuse the slight dip in audio quality. I also wanted to give a shout out to all the nurses, doctors, and medical professionals working every day to save lives. Y'all are the real heroes, and we love you. And now, here's the show. From the beautiful city of West Hollywood, we bring you Film Forward, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. Hey, hey, welcome to Film Forward, everybody. I hope everybody is doing well, staying safe, and staying sane, for God's sakes, out there. We've got another one of our famous Gimme Three episodes today, one that I am very excited about, and I'm even more excited to be joined by my old friend, brilliant writer-director, and the owner of some of the finest facial hair of all times, Mr. Felix Martiz. Felix, thank you for being here. My pleasure, Nick. Thank you for having me. My beard thanks you too. It just, it's, they can't talk right now. Is it still, I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen you, but is it, I mean, you always had like, you know, what the, what do kids say? Like facial hair on fleek. Like that shit was nice, <laughs> lean cut, like just perfect lines. I was like, good God. Is it still, is it still, you know, it's true. It, it's getting back there, man. This quarantine did a number on me. So I didn't <laughs> shave. I didn't touch it for like four months. Right. It was, it was kind of disgusting. It, it, it really did take a life on its own. The moment that it tried to run away, like it literally was trying to just, <laughs> like it was dragging me on the floor, like to, toward the door. And I woke up. I'm like, wait, what? That's not like, I got to cut it. Right. Right. So, yeah. so I'm trying to get back to that, that, that sleek look, you know? <laughs> I recently shaved it all off for the first time in probably about 12 months. And, you know, I went on a few Zoom calls and everybody was freaked out. They were like, oh, oh get this kid off of the off of the Zoom. Who's that? It's so weird, man. Like, I can't, I can't, I want to. Like, in all sincerity, you know, the, you know, I, I, I'm going to keep talking about quarantine because we, we're in quarantine. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, during the quarantine time, it's like I felt some of the days I felt like so drained. My energy just felt so low and so dropped that I would blame it on my beard. I'm like, it's because I, it's because this beard is like sucking up all my life. <laughs> I, like, I had a really interesting like <laughs> experience with my beard during the quarantine, man. It was just like, I, I, I hate you. I love you. Thank you for sticking with me. Or you've been with me from the beginning. Oh my God, stop your kid. It was, it was the weirdest relationship I had with my beard. So I, you know, I threatened it a couple of times to shave it off, but it knows it's a fake thread because I can't see myself shaved completely. Yeah. I, I, I just have one of those big faces that needs hair on it. Yeah. So it, it knows that I need it. So yeah. don't don't do it, dude, because I did I it. To. And as soon as I did it, I was like, fuck you. I looked in the mirror and I was like, uh uh-uh. uh, this is this is ruined. The whole I'm, face is ruined. <laughs> I made a big mistake. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I want though. I do want to feel that. I know I've done it maybe honestly, this is crazy to save it. Like a decade ago, I think I shaved it all off. Yeah. And I had that moment where it's like, why did I do that? Yeah. And I, I want it's been a long time. So I definitely want to see my face. And you know what's helping me right now that I'm growing a lot of white hair. Mm. My beard has like I have that like the goatee. And you know how I I either had a beard and when I felt like going crazy, I would get the goatee gone. Like right. nice and clean and shaved. Well, now the goatee is white more than the other hair. Ooh. So now I'm like, oh my god, or oh, the bottom of it. And I'm like, uh oh, it's time. <laughs> just to get just to get the new follicles in. <laughs> yeah. Dude, it wasn't white. It wasn't that white at the beginning of the year. 2020. <laughs> 2020, ah. baby. 2020. Took my year. 
Thank you again for being here. We are going to talk about movies today, but we're mostly going to be talking about beards. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering. I'm like, <laughs> great topic. About time. I honestly wrote a poem <laughs> like three weeks ago. When we, that was the first time I actually trimmed it, like just cut it because I'm like, I need to cut it. And I'm like, I need to, you know, <laughs> like really, really have a good memory of how I felt about this beard during quarantine. That's great. That's a great way to document the whole year, really, but especially the trimming of beards is uh, exactly in poem exactly. form. Yes, sir. So today we got some really, re- I'm really excited to talk about these movies. Our theme for this Gimme 3 episode is Hispanic Horrors. It being Hispanic Heritage Month, we're coming up on the end of that, and obviously Halloween's coming up at the end of the month. So we decided to combine those two themes, and we've got some really, not just great films to discuss, I think we've got some important films to discuss. So I am excited, Mr. Felix. So if you will, give us your first one, sir. Yes, sir. The first one that I'm going to talk about is Tigers Are Not Afraid. Mm-hmm. This is a Mexican film by director Isa Lopez, which was made in 2017, I believe, and yeah. can be found on Shudder. I believe it's a Shudder exclusive, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you know, I love this film. This was one of the films I had heard about. I read the synopsis and I'm like, I, I got to watch this. And it delivers on every level. The film is about a group of kids that are kind of like, it's this little, like a little street gang, if you will that mm-hmm. is made up of kids whose parents were killed by cartel members. And then the film deals with kind of the traumas that the kids have. And there are horror elements in the story in the sense that they are being haunted by like the ghosts of the people that have been murdered by the cartel. Yeah. And it is just, you think like, okay, that sounds, that sounds interesting. But the way the movie lays it out, it just deals with it in such a beautiful and great way. It, it reminded me of, of Kronos. To uh-huh. you know, not to take anything away with it, but again, nothing like it. But I don't know if this is a thing, and I, I don't want to like kind of really talk down it because that's not at all what I mean. But there's an idea of like urban horror, you know, right. at its core, and it's like it's like this really, really gut wrenching, truthful look at the world we're in, and in this case, Mexico, and the way the the kids are being brought up, the way the cartels are ruining lives and destroying you know communities and everything that they're doing out there, and at the same time having this fantastical element to it you know this horror element which again coincides so perfectly with the emotions and the feelings that these kids must are, are dealing with on a daily basis because you know people are disappearing every day and that's why i bring back Kronos to it because Kronos was has such an interesting approach you know when it talked about uh, or how it dealt with vampirism and all that and it just kind of represented the real world and what this fantastical story wouldn't would embody you know in this now setting but Tigers is so much more potent and so much more powerful in the way that its narrative structures uh, the story of this little girl whose uh, mother is missing and is convinced that, you know, the cartel took him or is not convinced, but she's being haunted by like her ghost. Mm -hmm. So knows that that the mom is missing definitely and and probably dead because she's seen her everywhere. And I really don't know how to talk about this film without giving it away because I sincerely feel like everybody needs to watch this movie. And I, I really do feel that it's, it's, one of those things, like the first couple of minutes, just watching it, you could see that you see the setting and you see how, like, where it's going to go, and you could feel how important it is. And it's not, it's not preachy in any way, you know. And it's just letting you kind of go on for this ride of this, you know, seeing the world through these kids' eyes and letting you experience what it is that that they're suffering and what it is that they're scared of and what it is that you know they have to they have to live with on an, on a daily basis. That being said, the, the fairy tale elements to it, like, you know, like the, the three wishes 
that is a is a through line kind of to this thing where she gets uh, three wishes throughout the film and it's knowing how and where to use these three wishes and and again it just I know that that doesn't make sense out of context but you know I don't I, again I don't want to give anything away because it's such it's such a well structured film you know the narrative of it is just telling you from one point to the midpoint to the end and it all just coincides beautifully and perfectly and the balance of horror and drama and just you know kind of the emotionality that it brings out in 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 these quiet moments between these two kids are, are phenomenal the, the kids are ge- the kids are great they're not professional actors i think this is all of their first things and um they just knocked it out of the park knocked it out of the park yeah uh, i i loved 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 this movie i was i was rocked by the end of it i'm I'm talking like tears in my eyes rocked as you mentioned it's just like a really really smart use of allegory applied to the horror genre and Mm. yeah just i just it just feels so damn real like the 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 fantastical elements are a lot of fun like i said they're 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 woven together just really brilliantly but if the the drama is what's really captivating in this and because you know it's happening you know you know it's like it's this is not a true story obviously but it is based in reality and it's based on actual real world heartbreaking stuff that's happening so from the get from the first scene it just kind of pushes its foot on the gas pedal and it it never lets up yeah and again the, the way it deals with with these traumatic elements that these kids are suffering you know in that first scene you know, the, the first scene is is a, a school getting shut up, you know, mm-hmm. or there's a shooting going on outside the, the classroom and it's cartel because the cartel's out there. And again, like the way the kid is like, they we close in on their faces and like they're just terrified, you know, for their lives and for the lives of the teacher and for everything else that's outside of that room, you know. Yeah. It's like such a heavy burden that these cartels put on the, you know, on these kids' minds. On, a, on, a, on an every minute basis. It's like from that moment, the little girl is like kind of already in a, in a different place and thinking about the world in a different way. And yeah, it's it's definitely very interesting how, again, it approaches trauma from that from that angle, from that perspective of, of, of the horror that it brings. And I'm going to say, we don't know if her mom's dead or not at the beginning of the film, but right. what, what she sees is the ideas that we have because of what we see in the news, because we know the cartel is like, you know, they don't do anything secretly. They bag people and they, you know, they shoot them. And it's like, these are the elements that we know to be real in, in life. And once they start haunting this little girl, I mean, it, who's to say that it's, you know, <laughs> that it's not all in her mind, that it's not just things that she's manifesting because of the horrors of, you know, of not knowing, just not yeah. knowing is just scary enough. Really, Absolutely. really, really great film, really worth checking out. It's an hour and a half. It's like under an hour and a half, but the punch is like, it's going to last a long time. I watched it back to back, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, oh yeah. And it's lean and mean baby. Like it, it moves, like you said, under an hour and a half and it just like, it wastes, it wastes no moments. Dude. And how about that, that blood? Remember that the, there's like this little blood stream that, yeah, kind of that blood trail. Yeah. Dude. Wow. I, I saw that and I'm like, it's phenomenal. Like it's like it's like it uses the like the most kind of simple approach to kind of these big ideas, you know, that you mm-hmm. can't escape it. You can't escape the horror that the world is putting in front of you. Like no matter what, it's like destined to hit you. It's coming for you at all times. And it's you, you get all that from just watching a little stream of blood, you know, kind of flowing Absolutely. toward you. 
And you're like, wow, that is intense. That is so, so well made. Issa Lopez is making something with Guillermo del Toro now. So I got kind of fascinating. Okay. Yeah. She's her next project is a Guillermo del Toro produced project. So it's really interesting, man. I I would say watch this movie, filmmakers go out and I'm going to say it right now. Issa Lopez, I-S-S-A Lopez. I just started to get obsessed with her right now. And the first thing that came up was an interview with her. And she had like the hardest time getting this off the ground like in festivals. So that that was really interesting to hear. Like she That's didn't get she didn't get a good festival run. Everybody was saying no to her. And again, I don't know why. why? I, yeah, that's so unbelievable to me. <laughs> yeah, it honestly is. And, and the, the interview kind of alluded to the fact that she actually had, you know, she talked to some of the festival directors later on when she became a little bit more known. And they're like, oh, what? we would never say no to this film. Why didn't you submit it? And she's like, I did. Here's the rejection letter. And she was kind of talking about how sometimes the festival, like the screeners didn't even get seen. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. As a festival programmer, this this podcast is directly related to the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. I hear that so much from filmmakers. You know, we have some really incredible films come across our plate every year and they say, yeah, you're, you're the first one that's accepted us. And I'm talking like these movies are better than like the Academy Award nominated shorts, some of these. And it's just like, yeah, you're the first one. And I think it's because so many times film festivals don't actually take the time to watch the films, right. which is, it's you know, shame. their loss. But it's also kind of shady because people are, you know, paying money to submit films to festivals. So, yeah, I'm I'm interested to, to check out a couple interviews with Isa Lopez because I just looked at her filmography. And before this, it seemed like she was doing a lot of comedy stuff. Yeah. So I, I'd love to hear like her story of like, uh, not only trying to get it off the ground in distribution, but like, you know, I assume that this movie might have, she wrote and directed it. I assume that this movie was kind of living with her for a while. Like, you know, like she was waiting to make this movie right. because it feels like it. It feels like it was made with a lot of love and, and a lot of passion. So. Absolutely. A lot of precision too, man. Like yeah, she, she had time to just really go for this and again, look at every detail and look at every moment and just make it pop on screen. Fantastic. Tigers are not afraid. As Felix mentioned, it is available on Shudder. I implore you all to check it out. If you are going to check out one movie on Shudder this Halloween season, have it be that one. Absolutely. Absolutely. And can I mention one, one quick thing? In Spanish, yeah. I think the title is called Vuelven. Yeah, I noticed that. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? Like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the first time and probably only time I will ever say, like, man, that <laughs> that English subtitle just works a lot better. For the yeah, <laughs> right. for sure okay so my first one i'm gonna take it all the way back to 1968 mexico's golden age of cinema with a film called hasta el viento tiene miedo which translates to even the wind is afraid so this film kind of takes place at a all-girls school university and it follows one girl in particular claudia who is having these reoccurring nightmares of a woman dying, hanging herself in this tower that exists on their school's campus. So her and her friends are trying to investigate it, but they keep getting thwarted by uh, the principal who's kind of like, I mean, she's tighter than a nun's asshole, like nurse ratchet type, you know, Mm -hmm. character. And as they keep digging, you know, as you can imagine, the more they dig, the crazier, the crazier the story gets. But what I love about this film is just how classic it is in a horror sense in, and it's just classic, beautiful. When I say classic horror, I'm talking like use of chiaroscuro shadows. You know, it's got like 
creaky steps, creaky doors, vibrant colors. When the girls scream, they like put their hands in their hair, you know, they're like, (laughs) so it just, when I watch it, I try and watch it every few years. It just starts to feel like Halloween, you know, it's very Hitchcocky and, and you, like I said, it's 1968. So it's, it's, I'm sure they probably Hitchcock was probably somewhat of an inspiration for it, but there's also a lot of really fun female empowerment thematic stuff going on in here. There's a lot of references to caged birds. These students are trapped in this college. They're kept there over vacation. That's kind of when the story takes place. These girls were naughty. They did some bad shit. So the mean principal keeps them there over what is supposed to be their like fall vacation. So they're kind of prisoners in this school. And, uh, you know, it refers a lot to like what happens when you keep people in particular, young, lively women, when you keep them hostage. So it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot, a lot of fun. And it is uh, available right now on Tubi for free. You just have to watch a couple ads to go along with it. Have you seen this film, Felix? You know what? I saw it a long time ago and it's funny. Yeah. I didn't know where to find it. I'm really happy you brought it up. There's this one and there's another one called, I think, The Black Vampire. Have you ever seen that oh, one? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Have you seen that? I haven't. I've been looking for that one forever and I can't find it. How do we get that movie? Because I want to see that. But I'm glad you said that this one is available on Tubi because I didn't know where to find it. Yeah, it's on Tubi right now. And it is. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And it's very 60s, too. Like, uh, it's just fun to watch like a film that takes place in Mexico and it could just as easily take place in America. You know, you've got like the sixties haircuts. There's a scene where one of the girls is doing like this fantastic strip tease sequence <laughs> for her friends, just because they're like so anxious to like get their rocks off, you know, just to have some fun. <laughs> so it's this great strip tease sequence with like low camera angles that I'm pretty sure Tarantino totally jacked for uh, death proof. <laughs> but I, I love this movie. I, I try and check it out, you know, every few years. If you're a fan of old school horror, like, a, you know, post universal monsters horror, this is a film for you. Yeah, it's, it, it lives somewhere between that and kind of that. Uh, what is that thing that Del Toro tried to do? It, it's like a famous, it, I think it's more British, right? English. Like yes. Yeah. Like the um, like he tried to do with like Crimson Peak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It lives between that and like you know, and and uh, and just original horror, kind of like the like these the old movie monster horror. Yeah, uh, where it's like yeah, it has that old school feel. It's kind of slow paced. Mm-hmm. It just you just have to stick with it and really just appreciate it for what it is, you know. Which is really cool. It's it's a really cool test of like the differences in horror, you know, in genre. For and sure. Yeah, because this was a studio film, you know, because yeah. the studio system in the 60s was thriving, thriving, yeah. booming. So it's really interesting to see that. And, and I like the comparison that you made toward like American films. It could be like an American thing, you know, because it's like the system was set to, to kind of everybody have the same system, you know, wherever in the world you're making the film, everybody's film is going to feel and look the same. For the yeah. Decade. Fun film, man. I'm going to check that out again. I haven't seen it in a while, in a long while. Even the Wind is Afraid, it is available on Tubi and it is directed by... Carlos Enrique Taboada. Hopefully I said his last name right. Okay, Mr. Felix, let's get your second one. Oh, man. Okay, so there's a film called The Untamed from 2016. It's by Mexican filmmaker uh, Amat Escalante. And this is labeled a horror film. It's, it's considered horror. I think it won, it won some major awards, I think, like in Berlin or something. Okay. Uh, 
or cans or something. But I know I've heard of it and I wanted to see it for a long time. And thanks to uh, to Nick's podcast that's forcing me to uh, to really <laughs> watch some of these movies. I'm like, you know what? This is the perfect chance to watch this film. So it took me forever to find it. Found it though. And I'm going to read to you <laughs> what it says on the synopsis in, uh, in IMDb. So it says, The Untamed, 2016, a couple in a troubled marriage locate a meteorite, initiating an encounter with a mysterious creature. Their lives are turned upside down by the discovery of the creature, which is a source of both pleasure and destruction. Hmm. So the last part of that sentence is correct. <laughs> 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 Dude, I didn't. None of none of none of anything else that we read is in the film. I think it's good backstory now that now that I know that though, I'm like, oh, okay, right. Because this is definitely a, a, a what the f type of movie because I mentioned to Nick earlier. It was like what the f when I was watching it. It was what the f after I watched it. It was what the f as I was trying to think back on it and be like, this kind of makes sense. It's still an interesting watch. The pacing of it is so insanely, meticulously slow. But in a really interesting way, not in a boring way where you're like not into it. It's just, it's trying to, well, I'm not going to say it's trying to. I'm going to say what my interpretation of the film was, it's about sexuality mm -hmm. and, and how repressed sexuality is kind of changed when that sexuality explodes, right? right. And it explodes into like either pleasure or, or not pleasure. And sex has a big big, big theme in this, is the big theme in this film. And there is a monster which kind of allows this woman to kind of release her inhibitions. Not only that, but just kind of not take herself for granted because she is so bored in her current life. At the same time, that monster that we're talking about, it's it's like an alien, I'm guessing, right? Now I know it's an alien for sure. It looks like <laughs> an alien, but I didn't know it was an alien right. because it's an alien with tentacles. Oh, gotcha. Uh, yeah, so here we go. So <laughs> there's no escaping it. There's no escaping it. If you don't know what tentacle porn is, look it up. Don't watch videos, just look it up. Right. <laughs> and let this movie be your introduction to it. Because it would be really interesting to find out as you're watching this film if you're into tentacle porn or not. <laughs> <laughs> because you know what? I don't know if I don't know the levels of tentacle porn. I don't, I don't know if there's like hardcore and just softcore or like, you know, but yeah, I think there's, I mean, in Japan, I know it's huge. Well, yeah, but in, it's definitely a Japanese thing and, and yeah. an anime, but it's always like really forceful, right? It's right, really aggressive. Yeah. From my, cool. yeah, that's what I thought. my understanding, I'm not, I'm not a tentacle porn connoisseur, but we're going to go with that as a fact because, of, you know, I, I, I want to search it, research it, but I'm like, how about if I just, I'm digging myself into a hole here. So <laughs> I'm going to say all tentacle porn that I've seen or that I know of is usually aggressive and really just hardcore in nature. Yeah. And this film, I, I don't know if I saw an unrated version or maybe this is just how it's presented. This is the film, but there's a lot of, uh, a lot of nudity, a lot of, you know, other than the actual penetration you see around the area where it's happening. Right. And you definitely see, there's a scene where, okay, so I'm, I'm going to paint a pretty picture for you. So last night I was trying to jam this one in and I'm watching it in my room around two o'clock because that's the time I have. And I'm like, two in the morning, by the way. So I'm watching this thing and I'm like, okay. And I, like I said, this, the pacing was kind of slow. So I dozed off. I wake up to a woman in complete ecstasy with like nothing but tentacles wrapped around her and something going inside of her. And I'm like, what the 
F happened to this? What am I watching? <laughs> no, random, dude. It, I woke up to a different movie and I'm like, what? No. I turned my TV off. I, I, I kind of, I'm going to be honest with you, I hope that I would, that would leak into my dream. It never did. So I'm, now I know I'm not into tentacle porn. Right. But then when we watched it today, I kind of, okay, I, I knew where we were going to head with it, right? So uh, you were that, prepared. That, like being prepared for it. But then when it actually appears in the movie, since the movie is kind of like this weird pace, it actually feels like tend to sensuality porn. Right. You know, because it's really sensual and it, it makes you kind of understand like what pleasure these people are deriving from this monster. Again, nothing horror about this movie. <laughs> so uh, unless, I mean, like, unless the people are scared of tentacles. Right. Tentacles you know, or, or aliens. Or, or, or aliens. Or a, or a female pleasure, which some people are afraid of that. <laughs> For real. You're not kidding. I mean that because... Yeah, there's there is a there is definitely a, two storylines in this film. One of them is uh, the the woman who we're talking about is who is uh, finding her way for sexual liberation. Her husband is having an affair, and her brother gets killed. And so there's there is there is a through line. There is a storyline that's happening that you know that kind of introduces her to this to this tenta monster. So it's not just like it's just boom about this tenta monster. So it's weirdly kind of a, this drama narrative that kind of meets this weird sci-fi premise and then kind of makes a story out of it. I say watch it because I need to know. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm intrigued. It, it, you know what? It sounds like it might make uh, a good double bill with even The Wind is Afraid because it's about, you know. Which one do you watch first, though? <laughs> yeah, I would say probably <laughs> even The Wind is Afraid. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that was being that was a, yeah. I don't know why I asked. Of course, <laughs> I watched the Untamed like before. I watched my other two selections, and I'm like, oh, I need time. I need time. No, I can't. <laughs> right. That's why you push back our recording time today. You need <laughs> some recovery time. <laughs> yes. So again, the Untamed by Amat Escalante. Great performances. I really like the performances in the film. And again, really, the, the guy knows what he's doing. I mean. The pacing of it is so slow that it should not have worked, but it does work uh, for as vague as it is at the beginning with where you're not sure where the story is going. Mm-hmm. He really does make it work and it really is. It does kind of capture attention. And if you stick with it, you will get tentacle sensuality at some point. You'll, you'll get something out of it. Do you know where it is available? Where did you where did you check it out? You can actually rent it on Prime Video. Okay, cool. If I'm not mistaken. I'm not sure that that's that that again. I don't know. My friend sent me a link. So, uh, you know. I, I asked a friend, I'm like, do you have this movie? He's like, oh, yeah, let me send you a link to it. So I, need, I didn't ask him if that was an unrated version or not, but right. how do you make this movie any rated? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you're, if you're going to make a movie with this concept, you're probably just going to go for it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Okay, The Untamed. I, I am fascinated. I will say that. You have my attention, sir. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my second one is a film by Mr. Robert Rodriguez. And it is called Planet Terror. For those of you who don't know, it is one half of a double feature that came out in the theater that was released. Uh, Grindhouse, uh, he directed Planet Terror. Quentin Tarantino directed Death Proof. They both stand on their own tremendously together. They're also great. But I love Planet Terror because I'm a huge fan of Grindhouse cinema. This is a beautiful homage to Grindhouse cinema. It's got great jump scares. It's got some really disgusting gore stuff going on. It's as funny as it is scary. The special effects makeup is terrific. It's got a banger of a cast. And actually my favorite thing about the movie is the score, which Robert Rodriguez also did. I think the score is incredible. 
And sometimes I just I watch, sometimes if I'm craving a good Halloween movie, I watch it again, but I mostly watch it for the score because it's so damn good. And I love Freddie Rodriguez in this. I just finished Six Feet Under, which I had never seen. Uh, and I just finished just finished that. So like watching him in that, and he's so great in that. And rewatching this and seeing him in this, it's just, I, I, I love that guy. I'm, I'm bummed he doesn't get more work. It's probably because he's so dang short. But Tom Cruise is so dang short, and he gets a lot of work. I don't know. Is Freddie uh, one of those Scientologists? No, that's probably why he doesn't get that work, is because I don't think he's a Scientologist. There you go. Well, Freddie, if you're listening to this, if you become a Scientologist, I'm not going to say I endorse that. I, I, I'll stop. Yeah, we right. understand why you need it. To. I'll understand. But, but uh, Planet Terror, uh, have you seen it, Felix? I'm sorry. Yes, I dig Planetary Man. Uh, 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 I had to confess something to you. I, I dug that more than Death Proof when I saw it. I, I went to the double feature. Then again, I went to the double feature when it originally came out at midnight. Yeah. And I think Death Proof Same. came on like at 2.33. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, like, right. I don't care, bro. I don't care right now. I'm just going to take a nap for a bit right. and then wake up and see what happens. But uh, but I did find Planetary just insanely fun. Everything about it, just the gore, just how ridiculous it is you know it's it's like like dead alive you know films that know how ridiculous they are and yeah. embrace it just uh, embrace it yeah well, absolutely you're in for the ride because you're like okay this they know what they're doing to the t and i'm like gonna enjoy it just like they're enjoying making it yeah very fun movie very fun movie and and freddie is awesome in it i totally forgot that that he's our uh he's our, our main protagonist there and uh yeah, he doesn't get enough work. You're right. Now that I think about it, man, he does not get enough he's, work. He's so good. He's got... I just saw him in something. What did I see him as? I saw him in something else recently, I thought. Is he on a TV show or something? Uh, you know, I because I when I finished Six Feet Under, I IMDb'd him because I was like, man, why don't I see him in more stuff? And he does do a lot of TV work and like, you know, bit parts here and there. And he's been a series regular on a few other things. But as far as I'm concerned, he, he doesn't get enough. He doesn't get enough. Yeah. Yeah. Enough, enough love and, and, and enough work. But if you haven't seen it, Planet Terror, it, it's just a good time. I didn't even go through the plot because it's pointless. It's just fun. <laughs> it, it, it's it's an absolutely ludicrous plot that, like, <laughs> is just ridiculous. But like, yeah. I can't even tell you what the plot is. You know what? And it's definitely worth a revisit. Yeah. Because, you know, just hearing you talk about it right now made me think, like, man, I haven't seen it in such a long time. I have, it's, I'm staring at the box right now. I'm like, I need to put you on and enjoy you because it is. A, I know it's going to be fun. It's fun. Yeah. It's just, it's just a rip or a good time. And if you're not a fan of Grindhouse Cinema or don't know what Grindhouse Cinema is, this movie is like a good introduction to it. Because if you watch this movie and you have a good time, this movie came out in 2007 and I didn't know what Grindhouse Cinema was and it introduced me to it. And afterwards, kind of seeing a bunch of Grindhouse horror after this or Grindhouse action Stuff like, uh, you know, he does the trailer from Machete at the beginning of this movie. Once you, st- once you dive into that world and appreciate those movies for what they are, it'll open you up to a whole new world of fun cinema that is just, you'll have a, a lifetime full of entertainment that uh, you didn't know, you did not know you wanted, you did not know you needed until you dive into that world. I think it's interesting that you say that because the Grindhouse film, just in general, Grindhouse is... I don't know, man. I, I I wouldn't say I'm a huge grindhouse guy, you know. Yeah. Uh, just, sometimes it's just hit or miss, or it's it's in the hands of. And in this case, it's in the hands of Robert Rodriguez, who knows exactly what he's doing and exactly, you know. And he's probably a student of grindhouse, so he definitely knows what works and what doesn't, and right. and how to approach something. So I think that's the the benefit of watching this film as opposed to just other grindhouse stuff, where it just feels like either they're taking themselves too seriously or they're not. You know, it's just a hit or miss and. 
you know. Yeah, uh, sometimes it's hit or miss. And that's the beautiful thing about a Grindhouse movie, too. And sometimes you can put it on and it's like 10 minutes in. You're like, nah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's you can true. move on. But, you know, sometimes there's some there's a lot of great actors that came from the grindhouse world. You know, like Michael Parks, actually, who's in this movie and who's in a bunch of, you know, Tarantino or Rodriguez movies. He was in so many grindhouse movies and he's such a great actor. So those, you know, the grindhouse movies that he's in or say actors like Robert Forrester or Pam Greer. They're so good, but the movies are so ridiculous. So it's like you have the fun of the ridiculous plots and the crazy scenes and the crazy plot twists and the fun, bad acting. But then you have these actors that kind of bring some clout to it and like make you love their characters and then you have movies like Disco Godfather. But see, so here's my question to you, uh, Nick. Yeah. So you differentiate between Grindhouse and Exploitation. Yeah, I, I guess that that is an interesting question. I'm not sure if Cause, I... Cause I'm hearing you talk right now, and I'm thinking about all the great exploitation films that those filmmakers, those, those artists came from. Yeah, right. You know, when I think of Grindhouse, I think more just like, these are people we're not going to... I think in the 80s, I don't know if you're familiar with 80s like horror stuff. I think it's 80s. But like, did you ever watch a movie called... Newcomb High? Yes. Yes. Do you remember, do you remember that? that would yeah. be Grindhouse, right? That Even would be though, yeah. Okay, good. So then we're talking about what is that? Who's that guy that makes those movies? The little guy? There's a book. I have his book like on my shelf, but <laughs> it's not Mel Brooks, but he looks like him. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> Kaufman something? Yeah, Kaufman. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that would be an interesting place to start because those 80, especially his movies, they, like you're, you're totally right. They would be Grindhouse because they have all the elements of. Yeah. And see, those movies were kind of like post heyday of Grindhouse, and I'm, I'm not a I'm not an expert, so somebody's going to send me a bunch of comments like, "No, actually, it's not." That's not. So I'm sorry if I'm misspeaking, but those you know, like he did like the Toxic Avenger and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's kind of like post heyday of Grindhouse when, um, you know, like I don't know if Toxic Avenger like were actually in cinemas for long. Like that guy started making movies when like home video was coming out. So like, he's kind of the predecessor to like the, uh, the shark natos of the world. Whereas the grindhouse and the exploitation movies, black exploitation, exploitation, grindhouse movies, those were all kind of predecessors to people like Robert yeah, Rodriguez. And you're right. Because, because I think under grindhouse, you could definitely put certain films, right? Like the, the karate films, even though I think of them as, as exploitation, I think they probably fall under Grindhouse. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Kung Fu movies, absolutely. That's crazy. Yeah, I never thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Grindhouse, check it out. Check out Planet Terror. It's it's a perfect Halloween movie because it's got scares, it's got laughs, a pop some popcorn, and you're going to have a great time. We are going to take a quick break, everybody. When we come back, we are each going to give our final pick for our three Hispanic horror films. We'll be right back on Film Forward. If you like the music in our show, all songs are performed by the band Dub8. Check out their new EP, Ayudame, available on iTunes and Spotify. All right, we are back, everybody, on Film Forward. I am here with Mr. Felix Martiz. We are doing a theme of Hispanic horror films, all 
horror films directed by Hispanic filmmakers. And it has been a lot of fun. We are each about to give our third and final. And I'm going to start it off so that way you, Felix, can give us your final last. I'll let my less, my guests go last. We save the best for last, as we yeah. say. Well, thank you. So my third and final film is The Devil's Backbone. We kind of danced around Guillermo del Toro earlier in the show. And if we're talking about uh, Hispanic horror filmmakers, we can't not talk about Guillermo del Toro. The Devil's Backbone, I picked this film just because of what it's about. For those who have not seen it, it came out in 2001. It's extremely gothic film. It's a horror film, you know, it's portrayed as a horror film, but if you peel back the layers, it's just this really brilliant commentary on the Spanish Civil War and on the fight against fascism, which I thought would be an apt film to watch right now, a month before you know what. (laughs) The film is about a young boy named Carlos. He's taken to an orphanage after his father dies in the war. The kids, the other kids who are in the orphanage, they kind of rib him. But once they accept him, he starts to experience some really crazy supernatural stuff. The orphanage is haunted and we don't, I'm not going to say by who and why, but, uh, you know, it's revealed and it's a beautiful allegory. Like many of Del Toro's films, it's just doused with symbolism. It revels in the fanatic and is really, really empowering. One of his more empowering films. I thought maybe it was just because I, I watched it, you know, now with <laughs> with this backdrop that we have. But it's just it's a great anti-war film. It's a great anti-fascism film. And it's got some fun scares in it as well. The Devil's Backbone. Have you seen this uh, film, Felix? Oh, I love this film. Yeah, yeah. I really I, after I saw this film, I didn't think I could like another one more. And then Pants came out. I'm like, holy shit, this guy can't do no wrong. Yeah. <laughs> So it's just, he's an amazing filmmaker. It's great, you know, how how, how he's able to kind of wrap these uh, horror elements into these like really, really powerful settings, you yeah. know, where, where these films take place and just the narrative of it all. It's just, again, and I, I think of a film like this and I don't know why, but trauma again keeps popping out, you know, even though it's the ghosts that are, you know, traumatizes. There's like, there's, there's this trauma that is left by a bigger thing than us to, to a certain degree it reminds me again of tigers are not afraid yeah it'd be a great a great pairing with that film actually absolutely i thought it would be Cronos, but you're right this one is a better one because different style but at the same time it's like kind of getting at the core of, of what is going on in the world and how the world is affecting the people in it at that time at that moment especially yeah. kids yeah, especially kids. We're you know both stories. We're we're seeing these kind of supernatural, horrific elements through these kids' eyes, but those are kind of almost red herrings for the real horror, which is like the horrors of reality, the horrors of the world, which I love about both of those movies, and which is kind of you know like that's that's a theme throughout kind of Del Toro's films is the monsters aren't what you should actually be afraid of. It's the people, you know, the Devil's Backbone. I, I think it's it's only available to rent. You know, on all the streaming platforms, I don't think it is available through any subscriptions, but really, really check it out, especially if you haven't seen it. And and if you're a Del Toro completist, it is it's worth a watch because you can just see this was like this was after Kronos, right? Yes, this was the second film. So, I mean, he's just he's already got his craft like nailed on this on this on this movie it's 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 very impressive yeah and it's really cool to to know that he made this like with a very limited budget mm-hmm. 
know, it's like what he got, like what he was able to pull off the little bit that he had was just an amazing thing. And I hope if you're Guillermo del Toro, uh, complete this, you've watched this already. Yeah. Shame on you if you haven't. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's, it's, it is really a powerful film. If you say you've seen, uh, what is that? What's the other one that you mentioned earlier? The peak one, but not this one. Crimson <laughs> Peak. Oh, yeah. I would throw something at you. <laughs> Uh, but it's, it is a great film. And, and yeah, if you get a chance to watch it on Criterion, it's really awesome to hear him talk about the film and about his approach to it. Really, that really I haven't happy. checked that. I haven't checked out that commentary. So maybe I will. You know what? Actually, I lied because <laughs> I re I rented this to rewatch it the other day. Okay. And then I, the next day it came out on the Criterion channel. So if you have the Criterion channel, it's on the Criterion channel right now. I don't know oh. if they have the commentary on there, but. Uh, they at least have the movie. Very cool. Worth a watch. Absolutely. Yeah. Great film. So, Mr. Felix, your third and final film. My third and final film. Well, let me chime in first and say. Yes. <laughs> that I thought my first and final film. My first, my, my, yeah, I thought my first film was going to be this, but then I, it went to number two, then it went to number three, then it went to number four. So I'm only <laughs> going to mention it because I'm really bitter about the fact that I watched it. <laughs> it's the remake of Evil Dead. I thought I really liked this film. I, I saw it many years ago. I think it came out in 2013. And um, I rewatched it recent, well, recently. I watched it today. <laughs> and then I'm like, what happened? I thought I liked you. So the, the filmmaker, is in, uh, he's from Uruguay. Mm-hmm. He's Fede Alvarez. And he does put a, a, a Latino in as, as, a, as a protagonist, as a, as a supporting protagonist. And I don't want to dive into this film because this is not my final film. But I will say that it's crazy how, you know, I thought I really enjoyed this film because obviously – if you're hearing this, you have a love and adoration for the original Evil Dead. Right. And when this one came out, like they went hard. They went the opposite way, you know, and, and it worked for them. And I thought it worked for them really in a really great way. And the film has its thing, you know, has, has, has its things about it where it's like, it's more the body horror. You know, it's more gory and gruesome. Right. It works for like a good 30 minutes, but then it just becomes redundant. Yeah. Right, and it's just I'm, I, I I literally fell asleep on it. I had to rewind it and play it again. I'm like, I'm not that old. I should be falling asleep. <laughs> yeah. So there, that's out of my system. My beard wouldn't let me sleep unless I mentioned that movie. So sorry about that. <laughs> my third and final, sir, is 1978's Dawn of the Dead. A George Romero. George Romero is from Cuban descent, so this fits into the. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least that's what I hear. I, that's what I've. It depends who you ask and where you research, but uh, Cubans claim the messages as his, as theirs, so I'm going to go with that. Well, if he's not Cuban, he's he's I, I think he is, but also he's in addition to that Spanish, so that counts also. Well, I guess <laughs> don't say that because I did not pick any Spanish films. <laughs> Spain, I mean, they're they're not they're they're European, brother. I not. guess that's true. Yeah, that's true. Because I'm like, dude, not. <laughs> A lot, I had a lot easier time finding Spanish films. <laughs> you know, they, they do have a bigger horror market out there. Yeah. But, but Dawn of the Dead, again, is, it's a great film. I'm sure you've all seen it. Funny enough, I saw the remake of it. Okay, so really fast. Dawn of the Dead is about a group of people that go to a mall and basically make that their safe place against the world of zombies that's outside trying to get them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what the film's about. Yeah. That is cool. What the many things that it's about, it's just kind of showering you showering you so at first glance and at first watch you know i saw this i'm gonna say when i was a teenager the first time and of course the whole idea of consumerism and like how much we like gravitate toward these things that we need and want and how it's funny that you know even the zombies want to go to the to the mall (laughs) after they're dead and it's like there's 
Now, all of that is, is there and it's present and it's never going to change. Now, watching it now, though, it's really interesting because even in the film, they say there's this idea. I don't know who. Somebody says it. I think Flyboy says it like, oh, they're coming for us. And then the other guy's like, no, they're just coming to the mall because it's what they know. Right. So that idea, I always took it for granted. Like, oh, yeah, it's what they know. It's what they shot. But it now, now in modern days, in 2020 times, it has taken a whole different meaning for me in the way that it's the ideas that we keep kind of trying to perpetuate, you know, of, of what it is that we want or what it is that we hold on to. So it's not necessarily the idea of it's what they know, like they're just going to the mall because they used to shop here. No, it's like there's this kind of really, really deep ideal in their head that that is kind of where they belong and that is kind of where they feel it's, at home. It's, the, it's, their, it's their identity almost. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is scary. Well, and it's scary, but that 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 is a through line throughout the film. Yeah. And I found that if, if you take the idea of, you know, of tribes now, because that's what the fucking world we're in mm-hmm. right now, you know, everybody's like in these other own little tribes. And they, this is a film about that. Yeah. With that, that the zombies are in their tribe. You have this core of, you know, gr- this core group of people that are taking, you know, safety and, and that are living in this mall and, and kind of creating their own little tribe. And this idea that this is ours and this is, we're going to hold on to it no matter what. So much so that when a biker gang kind of breaks in and tries to, you know, uh, I don't know, take over the area or just cause chaos. It's not really sure why they're there because, again, the idea is that they're a biker gang. What else are they going to do other than cause havoc and, right. create, and break shit? But, <laughs> you know, there's these there's these little hints of, of weirdness throughout the film where, like, the gang breaks in and they, like, start st- like, taking the money. And for that matter, even earlier in the film, they show the uh, flyboy and the other character kind of stealing the money from the bank, from the safe in the mall. It's like, dude, it's like the end of the world. There's do- There's zombies walking around. You don't need that cash. But again, kind of that idea that this is what we know and this is what we want and this is what we're used to, so we're going to take it and hope that we get to use it one day. It's the weirdest notion yeah. until you get to 2020 and it's this idea of like, oh, this is this is us trying to kind of hold on to that idealism that, that, that existed back in the 50s and in the 60s and this kind of ideal that we, we're going to try to make America great again and this kind of belief that all of a sudden – you know, it doesn't matter where we're at, how much we've progressed uh, and how much we've moved on and how different our, our country looks. It's like, no, we want to take it back to the core of how it was back then. And we want to hang on to that. Yeah. And we're going to hang on to that idea. And we're going to shoot people for that idea. And we're going to defend it to the T, even though it's absolutely abstract and ridiculous to do that. They're still doing that. And they show that in the movie when Flyboy like literally sees one of the gang members steal the money or like taking something. And he's like, that's mine. It's right. Like, what? Are you crazy? <laughs> That's not yours. Just nobody's. Nobody gives a shit. Everybody's wrong for taking it to begin with. But then he start he he starts shooting people for it. Yeah, even the other character is like, what? What are you? What are you doing? They're not here for us. They're here for the shit. Like, <laughs> let them take the shit. Right. He's like, this is our stuff. Yeah. It's like, no, dude. What is? So it's this kind of crazy notion of just hanging on to these ideals and these things that that don't really that are only going to destroy us because as you know as it would have it it destroys Flyboy. They get him for that. Yeah. If he would have just shut up, done nothing, and sit there and just be like, yeah, this this gang sucks, take the shit, get out, then we live. But no, it's like, no, I'm going to stand for what I believe in. Right. And what I believe in, even though it's wrong and even though it doesn't matter, you know, I'm going to pay the consequence for that. So I found that a real interesting watch this time around, man. If you haven't seen this film, it, again, it's 78. Mm-hmm. So even though... To me, the special effects and and everything that Savini did with the with you know with the zombies is just awesome and phenomenal. It might be a little standoffish to some because we're so used to kind of that Evil Dead gruesome reality body horror, you know. Yeah. 
but it's just it, it puts it in a really weird time like time and place yeah when the film was made and for the gruesome parts i mean there are some there are some brutal parts i really liked i'm gonna mention something else really fast that is kind of i mean it's it's there so i'm gonna talk about it it's like systematic racism yeah. that is a huge topic that has always been a topic that is getting its moment right now finally you know where people are either talking about it discussing it or avoiding it or pushing it away like it doesn't exist yeah this film it's like boom it's right there right at the beginning of the film you know you have these cops going in and fucking just shooting the shit out of everybody which is a leftover of kind of that idea from night of the living dead if you guys remember that film how it ends with them shooting uh our, our only surviving black character mm-hmm. not because he's a zombie, just because he's a black man inside this white house and it's like you kind of transfer that over now to the projects of 1978 and you have this squad going in and just destroying like the black community totally and it is the, the it is like I, I think I know I know I, I watched some of it a couple weeks ago crazy I've seen it twice in one month I saw it with my sister who hadn't seen it before and she it was just a lot for her she was like oh my god holy shit but she was picking up on things like you know when like she's like you know that's right it's it's like the COVID you know it's like it's gonna attack these communities first people yeah. of color it's gonna it's gonna affect us first and it's gonna affect the projects it's gonna affect all these people living in these homes and, and people are going to completely be brutal to them. And it's all in this film that was made in 1978. You know, again, Romero was always on top of his game when it came to ideas and what he's trying to represent. And, you know, sometimes it's a little much like when he shows, like he actually shows hillbillies kind of like I totally, you saw the movie recently, right? Oh yeah. I watched it again. I totally forgot that shit existed. That scene yeah. where the hillbillies are like, eh, eh, and everybody's like, they don't know. They play the music and you're like, what the fuck is this hick town shit? Right. And I'm sitting there with my sister because my sister's already like, this fucking movie's racist, man. <laughs> what the fuck are we watching? And then these hicks come out. I'm like, oh my God, this is not helping. But again, the idea that that is unfortunately the, fucking horror of america it right is. now it's, as it was then it's it's horrifying in its accuracy <laughs> yeah yeah these fucking hillbillies are fucking carrying guns around thing and that you know they're how, how how odd was that that you're getting like the military and the police like high-fiving the the hillbillies with the guns and kind of these <laughs> these hicks that are out there helping them shoot the zombies and they're like kind of saying hey man thanks and drinking coffee with them and partying with them it's like whoa oh that shit just happened last month <laughs> yes. Oh, fucking hell. Dude. Great film. Such an insane, insane amount of commentary in this film that is very vivid today as it was then, as unfortunately it seems like it's always going to fucking be. Yeah. And, I mean, if uh, not more. Like, I mean, I th- this movie was, you know, had its finger on the pulse of the world when it came out. But it seems because we have taken this step back, it feels like it hits really hard right now as you mentioned i hadn't seen it in about 10 years so i just rewatched it and i i was i got emotional watching it because i was not expecting to get so emotional with these movies uh, when i came up with this theme for this podcast felix i wasn't expecting to get emotional in so many of them. i was like yeah it'll be fun we'll watch some horror movies but god dang i mean this as you mentioned this movie just hits as we are yeah. in the midst of this pandemic and this year's crazy and we're seeing people die by the hundreds of thousands and a whole bunch of other crazy stuff is going on. Like our democracy is failing. Our government's failing us. And, and we're still not waking up. We're still zombied out, dude. We're still addicted to like consuming and this capitalism and our phones for God forbid. Like I was just, it was, 
it hit me hard watching this uh, this week. It really did hit me hard, and I, I was I got emotional by the end of this viewing. Yeah, because again, it, it really does hit hard, especially with the current times we're in. And you know, again, there was a guy in the news in, in the film, the guy with the beard and the, and the glasses. Yeah, and he's he's like a scientist or something, right? He's like a government guy talking about how we're going to have to like to let people die off and kill like a percentage of us, and then that way the other ones could survive. Yeah. And it's kind of, <laughs> again, that reminded me of COVID talk. It's like, for sure. The, uh, the, the, actually, the, the opening scene of this movie might be the scariest of the film. Because, and it has no zombies, but it, oh, the movie opens in a, a TV station. Like they're doing live news and you just see it's panic, pandemonium. People don't know how to deal with this. The emergency broadcast system might be taking over. They're putting up supers of like where people can go for refuge. But, you know, somebody else wants to take it down because it's not accurate and people are going to go to their deaths and the people want to leave it on because it's going to get them ratings. Like, I'm like, good God, like this, this is the horrifying realities of, of what we have. And it just like, whoosh, it's too true, bro. If you, if you, you have to, I mean, if you, I'm sure, like you said, most people who are listening to this podcast have probably seen it, but it is worth a rewatch right now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you're right. I mean, you know, going back to uh, the note that you had earlier about, about Del Toro, it's like the zombies aren't the real villain here. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> and and for that matter, it's really interesting how 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 Romero kind of balances that idea that it's it's us that mm-hmm. are our own enemies. And this movie taps on something that's even deeper than that. Yeah. You know, it's the ideas we hold. Yes. The ideas that some of us can't let go of that are really the enemy, right. that are really the thing that are gonna bring us down. Crazy man, crazy, yeah, really, crazy stuff. Really, really great watch, and uh, don't mistake it for the remake. <laughs> yeah, don't do not watch the Zack Snyder film. You know what? I'm gonna be honest with you. I thought that movie was really fun. Uh-huh. Uh when I watched the, the original time in the theater, and then I think I watched it again. I I owned it on HD, not Blu-ray, but HD DVD. Oh, <laughs> I I that. Yeah, <laughs> and I watched it on that, and I'm like, this still holds up. And then 2020, I watched it. I watched it actually right after I watched Dawn of the Dead a couple weeks ago. And I'm like, this feels fucking empty. Yeah. That's the thing. It's just like, it's a really well-structured horror film. Yeah. Slash and it's just, that's all it is. It, it has nothing, no substance. It's not trying to tell you anything. It's not trying to, you know, it's not trying to be prolific. I mean, obviously it's a fucking remake, you know, it's a remake <laughs> and it's Zack Snyder. Yeah. There you go. Enough said. Enough said. And, and I didn't know that Romero hated that film. So yeah, I just found that out recently uh, when I watched Dawn of the Dead uh, yesterday. I'm like, oh, I did a little research. I'm like, oh, he really did not like that movie. Good. And you can and, and you can understand why because it, it has none of the ideas that we've just talked about, which is what makes Dawn of the Dead a classic. You know, because as as yeah. you mentioned earlier, like the effects are not like something to be blown away by. You know, or like you know the acting is you know sometimes it's good, <laughs> sometimes it's not so good. But its ideas are some of the best. There, there's a reason why they call this the end-all, be-all zombie movie. And there's a reason why every zombie movie that's been made after this movie has taken, borrowed, or stolen from this zombie movie. There's a reason for all of that. And it's because this is the best. Yeah. And, and you can't blame those because this film no, totally. literally yeah. encompassed everything that it could possibly talk about within that that structure of the zombie world and what it represents or, you know all these different allegories that are that are being thrown in there into the mix and just played with and, and spits it back out so 
you have like something like something so detached from is like the walking dead, which is like, no, nah, it's still the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the walking dead stole from this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's its own thing, but it's like, no, but you can see a lot of the elements because it, it was such a prolific film. Like you said, it's the end all of all, of all zombies film. It, it really, it's, it's, it's the Bible. For it's sure. The Bible. It is the Bible. Dawn yeah. of the dead. It is, you know, it's not available for free streaming anywhere right now. I will say that if you happen to be on YouTube and you happen to type in Dawn of the Dead 1978, there may or may not pop up a very good 4K Blu-ray version of it, of the original theatrical release that might pop up on YouTube. But besides that, it's not available on like Netflix or anything like that. But, but do, do, do check it out, especially now. And again, I want to touch back. I don't want people to think that we're bashing on the on the effects because Tom Savini is a god, oh, obviously. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and I mean, we're talking about like the way that we are kind of used to seeing zombies nowadays. Oh, yeah, it's like, like, we've been spoiled now, you know. Yeah, exactly. But still, like the tearing of the flesh and the eating, especially in the in the biker scene, that is it's still not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that holds up. For sure. Dawn of the Dead, just incredible. Check it out. Felix, my friend, Thank you for hanging out with me and doing this. This this was. I hope you had as much fun as I did because it was great. So much fun, man! So much fun. I, you know, it's as filmmakers, we kind of we kind of forget how awesome it is to just sit back and enjoy a film that has substance and means something. You know, absolutely, it's amazing. Well, thank you so much for inviting me, man. I, I hopefully you uh hopefully I didn't mess up too much and you invite me back. No, yeah, you you will definitely be back. Real quick, you, anything you want to plug? I know you've got uh a couple movies that have been released. You just won an award at New York Latino Film Festival. Yeah. Anything you want to plug? Any any films you have that are available online? Uh, sure. Actually, right now, let me see. On Prime, I still have uh, Kiko and Santiago. You can look me up on Prime. I have a couple of things on there. And that film that won at the New York Latino is uh, gone. That's, that's going to be screening again, I think closer to Halloween. I think it's the opening film at the, uh, there's a festival called the Broadway Film Festival. Cool. Here in downtown LA. So I'm really excited about that, about having more people see that. And it's a great, uh, that's short. A really- great little short. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, so check that out. Also, Lecciones de Mi Madre is a film I produced that's actually um, being uh, released at, I think, the official Latino Film Festival. So making its debut there. So a couple things in the works. And other than that, just writing. And uh, yeah, if anybody needs anything, call me up. I'm home. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, well, awesome, man. Thanks. Thanks again for doing this. It was a blast for all the listeners at home. If you like what you heard today, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us out a lot. Subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you're listening, share it with your friends. Thank you all for listening to film forward and we will catch you next time. Our recording engineer and mixer is Anselm Kennedy. The podcast is produced by Anselm, Sonia Maru, and yours truly. Thanks for joining us on Film Forward, and you'll hear us next time.